Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Appreciate you all being here. Welcome to you guys joining us too online. Again, appreciate you doing that as well. I just want to clarify something, and uh, the things that you need to know just a little bit earlier in the service, Bruce had mentioned that we're opening up camp registrations tomorrow morning. It's actually Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock. And so for you, those of you that have campers and want to be ready for that, um, we would love for you to be all poised and ready tomorrow morning, but uh, you'd appreciate it better if you set your clock for Tuesday morning at 9 and uh, go with that. It'll work out just a, a little bit better for you there. All right, that being the case and out of the way, I'm uh, going to get right to it this morning. We're going to double back uh, in our series on Hebrews to chapter 10, and we're going to pick up this morning uh, from verse 23 and move on, and we're going to work our way all the way through chapter 11, and so we've got a fair bit of ground to cover this morning and some things that are going to make this service, uh, this message a little bit interesting, so uh, just before we get there, would you just join with me one more time, and uh, we're going to ask God to, to be with us and, and speak to us again, just uh, even though Neil's just prayed the same thing, but bow with me again, would you please? Father, this morning again, once more, by your Spirit, I pray that you would come at work and, and work. And Lord, I pray that even now that you would even calm my heart, my spirit, um, that you would uh, attend to my nerves, and that we would be able to dive into your word this morning and that we would uh, hear from you today. Nothing more, nothing less, just you speaking into our hearts and our minds um, about the things that you would have for us today. So to that end, again, we commit this time. I dedicate it now to you. I do so all in the name of Christ and for his sake alone. Amen. All right. So as we come to this verse at verse 23 of chapter 10, uh, we're seeing that the author has turned a page, if you will. He is now moving ahead under the assumption that his audience has made the decision for Christ, that this argument that he's been presenting has been laid out and that now people have adopted that and are moving forward accordingly with that commitment in place. And so we come then to chapter 10, verse 23, which says, Let us hold then unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who, who promised is faithful. So this morning, again, we're talking about, we're, he's talking now to those of us as his audience from the assumption that we have made that decision, that profession of faith, that we reviewed his argument, that we have accepted his argument, that we've appropriated it now for ourselves. And what he's going to do now is he's going to begin to unpack for us what this faith looks like, practically speaking, as we move forward. So as we come to this verse, then we see that the first thing that he tells us is that we're to hold unswervingly 
to this faith because he who promised is faithful. This morning we need to understand that our faith is always met by God's faithfulness. Our faith is always met by God's faithfulness. And so we need to engage in our faith. As we do, then, we understand and we've come to know God's faithfulness. But until we do, we miss out on that opportunity. So we need to hold to our faith. We need to begin to act on it. We need to begin to live that out. And as we do, then, we will know God and His faithfulness in our lives. To that end, then, the author continues... And he begins to build on this idea. If we are going to hold then unswervingly to our faith, then he wants us to understand a couple of things on top of that going forward that will help us to that end. First of all, if we're going to hold to this hope, then verse 24 and 25 tell us how to begin to do that. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, as we come to these verses, I want to go and take a look at some of the terminology that's there in this translation as it's written out for us so that we can understand what's being communicated just a little bit better. First of all, as the author says here, consider... We are to understand him saying, watch out for, pay attention to, or in other words, find opportunities. This is not a passive command to us. He's not just saying, hey, think about it, contemplate it, hello. Oh, I don't know about you. I had a really distinct sense of God appearing all of a sudden. (laughs) He is here with us right now, let me tell you, okay? All right. So, this is not passive. This This is dynamic. The author is calling us to do something. Not just think about it. Not just contemplate it. Watch out for it. Pay attention. Find opportunities as we consider then how we can spur one another on. By spur one another on, the author is telling us that we should understand this in the terms of even provoke, okay? That we should then provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now this term that he uses here that we understand what's translated as spur one another is generally used in the negative sense. And we see it most often biblically where it's in terms of where God was provoked to anger in the Old Testament. And it only appears one other time in the New Testament and that was when um, Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that it provoked Barnabas to take Mark and head off separately from Paul on a different missionary journey. Okay? So this is a strong word. Spur one another on. It's provoke one another. And by that, then, we need to understand a couple of things. We need to understand that in order to do that, we have to be situated in order to be able to accomplish that, which is to say that we have to be in close enough 
proximity to those around us so that we can observe that opportunity and that then we can take advantage of it. So we have to do our faith, we have to do our Christian lives together in close proximity. All right? And therefore then, we also have to engage with one another in this, which is to say that we need to engage with others around us. And we have to be open and available for others to engage with us in the same way. Okay, now that comes out really clearly in the next verse as the author continues in telling us to not give up on meeting together. All right? Now, here we need to understand a couple of things about what he's saying. As he tells us to not give up on meeting together, there is a distinct sense here that he is talking about the synagogue. Now remember, he's talking to a primarily Jewish audience. That's who we think that he's primarily writing to. Not only a Jewish audience, but primarily a Jewish audience. So there's this understanding there that when he says that we need to not forsake getting together, he's talking about getting together at the synagogue, or which is to say for us church. But there is also thought to be something beyond this as well, where he is also communicating that you are not to forsake getting together in addition to the synagogue. All right? So not just the synagogue, but there's also thought that he's asking for something above and beyond just the synagogue. All right? Carrying on. As the author then refers to the day approaching, all right, as we read that, then we're to understand it, first of all, there's a very eschatological sense to that word, to that phrase, which is to say that he's referring to the second coming of Christ, when Christ then returns. So the end times, if you will. So he's looking down the road to whenever that happens. And as a result of that, that occurrence, that, that coming, the anticipation of, of that coming day, that we need to then be all the more forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. But there is also thought that he might be, the author might be, talking about the fact that there is a coming persecution. And we're going to see that a little bit even in this section of Scripture today. We see it a little bit more even coming around the corner in the book. And, and we started off even earlier talking about the idea that this book might have been written because there, the audience was starting to undergo or to experience some persecution. So as the author talks about all the more as we see this day approaching, he's talking about, yes, the return of Christ for sure. So keep that in mind. But he may also be indicating we should be paying all the more attention to what he's saying, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together, spurring each other on to love and good works, all the more as we see persecution approaching. Okay? So he packs, the author packs, a whole bunch of stuff into three really short verses, all of which to say then, if we're going to hold unswervingly to the faith that we have, then we need to get busy and active, provoking one another, spurring each other on to love and good works, and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as we see this day approaching. Now, 
from this then, we need to look at this and consider some things and understand a few things. Number one, three things I'm going to point out. Not just three, but three that I think that are worth noting here that need to be said. Number one, solo efforts to persevere in the faith are not wise. The author is pointing us to the idea this morning that our faith is not to be embarked on as lone rangers. If we hope to persevere in our faith, in the hope that we've been given, then we best not do that independently. Somebody smarter than I once said that the last personal decision you make in our faith is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and from that point on, it's now a group effort. I think they're pretty wise. I've thought about that more and more over the years, and the more and more I'm convinced that they're right. Without the benefit of other believers around us, we are that much more susceptible to failing in holding unswervingly to our faith. Second thing. This morning, our faith has to be a priority in our lives. What the author is calling us here to is not just some idea that we keep in our head, but it is a way that we live. And if we're going to live that way, then we have to hold to our faith. It has to be that important to us because otherwise, I can pretty much guarantee you that you're not going to live it out. And then there's an increasingly good chance that we will not hold to it going forward. Our faith, we have to decide. Is it a priority or is it not in our lives? Am I going to bring my life in line with my faith today? Or am I going to leave it as something that I interpret according to the rest of my life around me? The other priorities in my life. Or is it going to occupy a central part of my world? that will then inform the rest of the way I do life. He's calling us to make a decision. Not only for Christ now, but for how we're going to pursue our faith in light of Him. And what's more, we have to do it intentionally and we have to do it within the proximity of other believers. Thirdly, As we think about these verses, it begs the fact that our faith is going to require from us sacrifice and suffering and discipline. Again, the author here is not obtuse. He's not naive. He's calling us to live out our faith, and he recognizes that in asking that, in, in making that demand of us, that that's going to come at a cost for each of us. All the more reason then that we need to be doing this together so that we can bolster one another, so that we can encourage one another, so that we can support one another as those costs are exacted on us and in us for the sake of our faith. Now, church family, we can't come this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23, 24, and 25 without some things needing to be said, I'm afraid. 
And this morning, I don't think you're going to appreciate this. And I spent most of last night wrestling this through with God. So this morning, I would appreciate it. I would be most appreciative. If you could find in your heart to understand this to me as trying now to provoke you to love and good deeds. And that we could chalk it up as that. We've reached a point in our world today where if you're at church two out of five Sundays, that that is considered regular attendance. You're a regular attender. And I think that the author of Hebrews would look at that and say, oh my goodness. They didn't either read my book or I didn't write it well enough. We've reached a point in our society where we're seeing kids over the age of 13 walk away from the faith in increasing numbers. And do you know what? What scares me is that as we look at that, then we look at the church and we say, what are you guys doing wrong that this is occurring? And I'm afraid this morning that it's about time that you and I as parents started to ask ourselves not what the church is doing wrong, but what we're doing wrong. Now, I mean, I'm here to say this, that if we haven't made church a priority, that if we haven't made our faith a priority, enough that two out of five Sundays is, is the level of regular attendance, then I can tell you why kids are leaving the church at 13. Is there, is there any question? Is there any wonder why that's the case? And I'll tell you something else. COVID hasn't helped. For a while, I wondered if COVID was going to help. That the threat of this disease that was going to wipe out a considerable number of us. And listen, I am not for a minute downplaying those that have suffered through COVID. Don't hear that at all. But as we went into this, there was considerable concern. And I wondered to myself, is this going to precipitate then an awakening in our hearts and our minds, in, in, the, in, the, in the lives of believers? And this morning, I want you to know that if you haven't made a profession in, of faith, if you haven't come to that point in your life where you are professing faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not talking to you right now. You're examining this. You're wondering about it. That's awesome, and I would encourage you very much to continue to do so. I'm talking to those of us this morning that would say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that claim Him as a priority in our lives. And what I think I've seen is that as COVID has arrived, it hasn't precipitated more church growth. It has actually given us an excuse to, to re remove ourselves, distance ourselves, relax even more in this area of assembling together. 
What's happening is that we're getting more and more lax in it. Started off that we couldn't come to church all right. Well, at least then I'll get up on Sunday morning and I'll try and tune in the service. But now, I think where we're at, and I don't have to look very far to see this, is that well, I, well, I, you know, if I don't get to it Sunday morning, that's not a problem. Maybe I'll pick it up Sunday afternoon. Maybe I'll pick it up sometime during the week. Well, if I, I'm a couple weeks behind, but I'll catch up. And we wonder why our kids are not following the faith. We don't show up at church. They don't show up at church. And pursuing it's not even just church. It's not the faith at all. They're pursuing other things in their lives. Now you say, I, I mean, I've been sitting in your seat. I've been on the other side of this myself. You're saying to me right now, Doug, but wait a second. Hold on, dude. We, we pray at home. We pray before meals. We read bedtime stories out of, the, our, out of our bedtime Bible book. We, we, we pray before we go to sleep. And I get that and that's all good. But let me tell you this. I talk a lot about losing weight around my house. And you see me, right? And my kids have figured out this, that dad talks a lot about losing weight. But I haven't convinced them that by cutting out on a couple of Pop-Tarts every once in a while, that I'm really serious about it. Church family, friends, we might be fooling ourselves today. But we're not fooling them. Our kids see through it. They're smarter than that. They know. They know when, like Spurgeon said, recreation is more important to me than pursuing my recreation into the image of God. They understand when the material things of life are more important to me than the spiritual things in life. They've got that. They've got that figured out. They're watching me. They're doing the math. They know when I pay my faith lip service, even when it's just well-intentioned, even when it is well-intentioned. And this morning, we've got to do better. I hear this. When, when is Kids Quest going to start? When is FBC Kids going to start up again? And I say, well, we've got a service now where we do that. We've been doing it since the fall. Yeah, yeah, but, but I want to just be able to send them to FBC Kids and then I'll enjoy the service. It's not good enough. We've got to get out of bed, parents. We've got to take these kids to church. We've got to get them here. I've got to sit through a service with them. Be a part of that. Help them establish the fact that our faith is a priority in our lives. 
that we live it out, that we don't just talk about it. And that means I'm going to get a little bit less sleep. That means I'm going to have to sit through a kid's service that isn't all geared towards me. I get it. But that's what I do for the sake of my kids on account of my faith and on account of theirs. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that the church isn't doing a good enough job. Kelsey's doing a great job. She's putting on a great service. An opportunity for you to engage in. You need to engage in it. Don't miss it. But let me tell you something else. It doesn't just stop there. We cannot leave our kids' faith development to once a week for an hour, 45 minutes on Sunday morning. You've got to be involved in your kids' lives on that level day after day after day after day. And then guess what? We get to engage with our grandkids maybe one day down the line on that same level. To the best of our ability in whatever way we can, up to and including prayer for them day by day by day by day. So that they will also persevere in the faith. That they'll come to that point one day in their lives where they will make a a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Where they will stake their claim in his salvation. And then that they'll live it out day by day after that. But listen, 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 listen. It's not just our kids that are in jeopardy. It's you and me too. Individualism has bought into the church. I pursue my faith. I'm told that I can do it by myself individualistically. My faith has become an addendum to my life, not a paradigm in my life, for my life. And what we're seeing, what I'm seeing even recently, in the last few weeks, I've had a couple of cases, people that have actually worked in Christian ministry, different ones. One was in a church, one was not, a parachurch organization. Been to Bible school, and then walked away from their families and walked away from the faith. As adults. We are in jeopardy as well as we do not discipline ourselves in the faith. Prepare ourselves to pay a price whether that's in sleep, whether that's in income, whether that's in time, whatever it is, for the sake of our faith. And we've got to do better. Now this morning, can I ask you a question? Who is close enough in your life right now that can ask you these hard questions? That can help hold you accountable? I am really fortunate. I've got a guy in my life that if I step out of line, there is no doubt in my mind, he will be there looking me straight in the eyes saying, dude, what's with that? Do you have someone that can be provoking you to good deeds, to love, 
and holding you accountable in that day by day. You're just saying this morning to me, I can see it. You're saying, and I've been there, don't, I, I'm this, listen, I am not talking to anyone individually this morning. I'm talking to us all specifically this morning. And I've been there, I've been there with you. You're looking at me and you're saying, Bainton, you're being a legalist. You're just a legalist. Let me tell you, let me say something about that. First of all, first of all, I'm a Bainton born and raised. And legalists and Baintons, you can accuse me of being a lot of things, but you won't accuse Baintons of being legalists very well. Not going to happen. Secondly, I get it. There are no guarantees with following all the rules. Nowhere in Scripture is it going to say that if you do all these things, that you're going to be fine, your kids are going to be fine, everybody's going to be fine. There are no guarantees in, quote-unquote, following the rules. That just means all the more so we better be doing what we need to do because there's no guarantees. And the less that we do, I'll tell you what, there are better odds, options, avenues that they're going to be going down the wrong roads, including ourselves. Third thing, and this is, this is the heart of it, this is where I'm really wanting to get to this morning, that if we reduce our faith to following or not following the rules, if this just becomes about legalism in our lives, then I'll tell you what, what's happened is, is, is that what we've done is we've dismissed the whole first ten chapters of Hebrews. All right, we've just overlooked them. We've thrown them out. Until we get the first 10 chapters of Hebrews figured out in our lives, once they start to become in focus for us, once we start to begin to wrap our head around them, then we find that this is not about the rules. This is nothing about the rules. This is about a God that exists and the fact that sin is a problem. Enough of a problem that he sent his son into our world to save us from something that we couldn't save ourselves from. And we need to be saved from it because there's a real consequence to it. And it breaks one of two ways. Me forever in hell or me together with God in heaven. That's the way it plays. Two more things on top of that. Number one, hell isn't a good place. It is not a pretty deal. That needs to get into our heads. And one last thing, eternity is a long, long time. As we begin to understand that God loves us to the extent that it, down through time he has been blazing a trail for us, leaving crumbs and clues so that we couldn't miss his son in order that we could then put our faith in him so that we wouldn't experience hell, the consequence of a very serious thing called sin, and instead that we would be able to find salvation through him, a restored relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, then we're missing the point, and I'm afraid we have. In our world today, we don't think sin's that serious. 
We're pretty glib about what Christ had to do in order to save us. And we're awfully nonchalant about what that means and how I'm going to live out my life in light of that. And as a result, we are drifting further and further off the course in our world today. And we are more and more susceptible, ourselves and our kids, to being capsized and cratered by the storms of life around us. Okay, and while I've got you cranked up, I think I might as well do a job of it. Listen, in our society right now, and as we look at this verse that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Some of us out there are saying that that means that we've got to be at church, everybody's got to be at church every Sunday, the government has no right to step into our lives, and so on and so forth, yada, 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 okay? Now, listen, I'm not making any judgments here. There's some validity to, to, to that argument and, and, and so on and so forth. I'm not in favor of what I'm seeing on the news right now. I'll make that clear. We are not being persecuted. This isn't persecution yet, kids. But let me say this. Fighting it right now, the way that we're seeing it play out on some of the avenues and angles on TV, let me just say this. We are also 50 or 75 years too late to that fight. We're going to see in, in another month or so a court decision come down that's going to back up, mark my words, it's going to back up the government's right to intervene in the lives of church. It's going to tell us that the government is well and good to make these stipulations and demands on us as a church. And I'm, again, I'm not even going to comment as to the validity or in invalidity of that argument. But the fact is, is that we've lost that fight. We are too late to that. We should never be fighting it on that level at all anyway. The fight exists in whether or not we are sharing our faith with the world around us, which is to say that I've got to live it out in order to share it with any kind of credibility. And if we were living out our faith and if we were sharing it to the world around us, we wouldn't have to push this in a court we have watched this happen for years now, folks. We wanted education to solve our problems. We wanted them to teach our kids what's right and what's wrong, to follow Judeo-Christian principles and stuff like that, yada, yada, yada. School's not going to do that. We've established that. Then we looked at government. We said, the government should be doing this. You need to uphold these rights. You need to represent me in all this type of thing. Government hasn't done that. We've seen that play out. That's a abysmal failure. Now we're waiting for the courts to solve our problem. We're saying, oh, it's the last bastion. You guys at least have to recognize the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and tell us that as church we need to be, we're, we're okay, we're exempt, we're, we have this right, this option. We're going to see, we're, and we're seeing it already. There's cases already, they're lining up where that's being overruled. So this morning, when I'm telling you that we need to be assembling, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together, hear me on a couple levels. First of all, as we have the option and the, and the privilege of doing church, then let's not miss that. 
But we need to go beyond that because that day's coming very soon when we're not going to have that option. And I'm not pretending, I'm not, don't hear me exclaiming, Doug saying he's a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I'm just Doug. But I think if we have our eyes open, if we're watching the, the hills, the horizon around us right now, we can see this day coming and we better not put our heads in the sand and ignore it because it's going to be on us overnight. And so we best be ready for it. Which is to say then, that you need church as much as we can get to church, but you also need a group of friends around you that is your church when this one can't exist. All right? Yeah, okay. Uh, This isn't a political speech, guys. I appreciate the support. But hear me from my heart this morning. This is a spiritual matter. We need to surround ourselves with people that are going to be able to speak into our lives on a faith level and help us persevere in the faith in the days ahead. So as we go forward as a church, I want you to know that we're going to be putting more and more emphasis on small groups. And that's the, we've said it all along, that we're, that's important, that that's a significant thing for us, but it's going to become more and more of a significant thing because one day it might be all you have left. So Pastor Bruce is working on this. We're starting to make some changes. We're going to try and expedite this. We're going to try and facilitate small groups as best as possible. And I would encourage you right now to talk to him and say, listen, I'm in on that. I might not be in on it right now. I haven't got a group necessarily right now. But talk to him and say, I'm in on that. You say, well, yeah, but we're coming up to summer and so on. I've got the lake and so on and so forth. I'll maybe check that out in the fall. Talk to him now. Might take us till the fall to be able to figure some of this stuff out and get everybody ramped up and ready to go. You're going to need a group around you that can help you going forward in your faith. Don't miss that. Start and plan on it now. Start and make preparations for it now. And if it isn't, because the day approaching is the day when Christ is going to return. As if that weren't enough anyway. Then trust me. Maybe it's for the day coming when the persecution is going to arrive. Because I believe it's on its way. And with that. I'll cease and desist in my spew. When I start to go off I can see my kids over here looking at me. They're going, dad's going to spew. Uh oh. And there's going to be chunks. There was. I appreciate that. But I hope you can hear my heart in this today. This this isn't just Doug talking. This is for your sake and for your kids' sake and for our kids' sakes and our grandkids' sakes. Because I believe that there is a God. And I believe that we got a problem with sin. And I believe if we don't figure it out, that means hell for an awfully long time. And I believe that it also means that if we do figure it out, then we've got heaven. And community with God starting now and forever going forward. The stakes are that big. They're that significant. We've got we to get down to some brass tacks in this thing called our faith. Let's move back. 
get back on track here. Verses 26 to 31. The author continues, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an, an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that, was sanct- that, that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh man, we, we are going to... Okay, let's keep going real quick. First of all, long story short here then. The author points out really succinctly and clearly that those who reject Christ and salvation from sin through the death that he offers in our place have nothing to expect going forward than God's judgment and punishment. That's not ignorant, that's just true. For us to understand then this this morning is that to dismiss sin as inconsequential and Christ's sacrifice for sin as irrelevant or unnecessary or fabrication will come for us at a cost. And so also in then in this then, for us as believers, come a few things. We too need to take seriously what God says. <coughs> Excuse me, for all the reasons that we've just been talking about. Well, that's not for us to just look around and say, hey, you unbelievers, pay attention. You and I need to pay attention too. Because when he's talking, he's talking to us. Every bit as much and more. We've made God our buddy. I've said that before. And in that we've robbed him, I think, too often of his holiness and his justice. But let me tell you, he's still holy and he's still just and he looks after his business. It helps me, I don't know if it helps you, when I look at this from the perspective of my dad, I grew up with a healthy fear of my dad, and I say that in a biblical sense, because he had some sway in my world. And so as a result of that, I minded my P's and Q's. I watched what I said. I watched how I behaved around him. I was careful about my mouth, etc. I followed his instructions. I think we need a little bit more of that with God today. There was never any doubt in my mind that Dad loved me. There's never any doubt in my mind that I loved him. But I was careful because he was dad and I was Doug. This morning, he's God and I'm Doug. That's bigger than my dad. So we best be paying attention. Our God is neither anemic, nor timid, nor indecisive. And he will discipline us and punish as necessary to accomplish what he deems is fit according to his goodness and holiness. In our lives and in everyone else's, we do well to keep that in mind. 
Verses 20, 32 to 39. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict, sorry, in a great conflict full of suffering. Okay, remember he's talking about suffering here again. It's in the background. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in, in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He, is, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but by my righteousness, one will live by faith. Sorry, but, my, but by my righteous one, sorry, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then 39, the author says this, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. FBC, where do we stand today? I pray that we stand with those that don't shrink back. Chapter 10 ends as the author encourages his readers to persevere in the faith through the challenges that they're facing, the persecution that they might be encountering and what's yet to come. And on account also of the better things that God has promised us. Now, it's 11.37, we're starting chapter 11. Let's do this really quick. The author could have easily moved from the end of chapter 10 straight on to chapter 12, but he chooses instead to put flesh on the vision for us. He chooses to give us examples of the faith that he's calling us to, those that exemplified what he was after. So he gives us these examples, skin on the vision as it were. But before he does that, he offers to us a summary of what faith does in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is the faith that he's talking about in these examples that he's going to give us shortly. And it's a pithy statement. But what does it mean? So I'd offer to you this morning what F.F. Bruce says as he unpacks this verse. F.F. Bruce says this, their faith consisted simply in taking God at his word and directing their lives accordingly. Things yet future, as far as their experience went, were thus present to them in faith. And things outwardly, outwardly unseen were visible to them in their inward eye. That's what faith looks like. The faith that perseveres. The faith that these people demonstrated that he holds up to us now as examples. And that being the case then, we see that faith plays out in many different ways. And I'm not going to go through all of these examples, but I'm going to just point out some of the, the things that we see of faith manifesting itself as we're living it out. Faith manifests itself in action. Faith manifests itself in obedience, in patience, in trust, in commitment in sacrifice, and in suffering. Do yourself a favor. Go home and read those accounts this afternoon through chapter 11. 
and be reminded of those things. Lastly, in verses 39 to 40, the author concludes chapter 11 with this. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would, be, would they be made perfect. What, a, what an amazing thought this morning for us to leave on. God didn't allow them to realize the fullness of their faith so that we could then also be together and realize it all together, one with another. That you and I could stand today with Abel, with Abraham, with Noah, with Gideon, with Rahab, with Moses, side by side, as God one day reveals to us the fulfillment of those promises in full. What an amazing thing. What a day that's going to be. That's for us ahead. How amazing that he would, would think to keep that so that we could experience that together with him all at once. Phenomenal. He is so good. Let's pray. Father, today, again, as we look at this chapter, Lord, and as we hear you speaking into our lives, Lord, I pray that we would hear. Lord, I pray that you would take us now and that you would move these words in our ears to actions in our lives, that it would not stop in our minds, but that it would begin to play out in how we live, that we would be different for you today because of what you have done for us, who you are, the significance of sin, the opportunity that is given to us through your Son and salvation. Lord, help us to understand. Help us to open our eyes to that. Lord, help us to pray but by your Spirit that you would make that real to us today so that we wouldn't be able to, 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 to put it to the side, cast it to the side, leave it as an addendum, but that it would become a paradigm in our lives that would change the way that we live. And I pray these things now all in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Amen.